You're listening to the Run For Your Lives podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Daphne. And I'm Paik. And this is the Run For Your Lives podcast. This episode is the horror comedy Tremors. It's directed by Ron Underwood and released on January 19th, 1990. Wow, 30 years ago. <laughs> Cannot believe it. The principal photography for this film took place around Lone Pine, California and the isolated community of Darwin, California. They liked the location because it reminded them of what perfection should be as a small a rural isolated community it spawned six sequels including tremors island fury which is due to be released in october of 2020 the original movie which we're covering today is the shortest of all tremors movies and comes in at about 95 minutes it had a budget of 10 million it grossed just over 16 and a half million while it was successful it was well below the projected numbers this was also the first film by Ron Underwood. He went on to direct City Slickers and Mighty Joe Young before switching to mostly TV shows, including Once Upon a Time, Hawaii Five-O, and Fear the Walking Dead. Nice. So, Paik, would you like to give us a synopsis of this film? Sure. All right. And this synopsis I pulled from a user on IMDb and... I think they nailed it pretty well. So the synopsis here is a small town gradually becomes aware of a strange creature, which picks people off one by one. But what is this creature and where is it? And at the same time, a seismologist is working in the area. She detects tremors. The creature lives underground and can pop up without warning. Trapped in their town, the town folk have no escape. That sounds even more menacing than anything else I've ever read. If I read that synopsis, I'd be totally down to watch it because it sounds creepy and <laughs> um, terrifying. Yeah, they gave it more of a horror vibe on that synopsis, which is fun. <laughs> exactly. That's how I feel as well. I actually reconnected with this movie. I saw it in the theaters. I can't believe it's 30 years ago. It was so over the top comedic. But then other times you were feeling really nervous for Val, Earl and the rest of the perfection. Um, citizens with a population of 14 you know it's not going to take much for the graboids to eliminate all the residents so i actually thought it had a great balance between being funny but also being scary yeah and i thought it married that really well mm -hmm. what did you think i um this is just an awesome classic to go back to and rewatch Oh, I mean, I've lost count how many times that I've gone back and rewatched it for me. It's been quite a few years since the last one, but I, I watch this movie very regularly. It's easily my favorite, like, guilty pleasure movie series. I've seen all of them, all the sequels. But this one, the first one right here, I think is definitely easily the best one. It sets the good standard. It, they only get more outrageous and ridiculous as they go, but it's fun in its own way. But we'll talk about that later. We've got a whole segment on sequels later on. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to learning more about what happens since I haven't yeah. seen any of them. Oh, man. But this first one is a quintessential creature feature, in my opinion. I think it's just it has to be on everybody's list to watch or 
it has to be like at least an honorable mention on everybody's favorites list because uh, it's like part western part creature movie part comedy it's you know got some scary moments but it has a lot of heart and a lot of orange goo yeah a monster that in reality is actually really terrifying when you think about the concept so <laughs> i thought it was a huge giant slug <laughs> that's what it looked like to me when we got to see the full creature and then the orange goo reminded me of like butternut squash soup when it came out. Uh, <laughs> uh, Panera in the fall will never be the same for me after you say that. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so I, one of the things I really loved was the bromance of Val and Earl. Yeah. It's so clear from the beginning that Earl is the planner. He does the planning and Val is the ex- executioner. He goes out and actually does what Earl plans. I love that they did rock, paper, scissors to solve all of their disagreements, to determine who was going into a scary situation, like who was going to cook breakfast and who's going to get which gun. Who's going to have to crawl up the electrical tower to save somebody. (laughs) I found that hilarious. It was just, it was corny, but not corny. It was just this fun little connection to their friendship and you could tell that they were best buds but i think as the movie went on and they just continued to do those things you could tell just how much they really cared about each other perfect bromance perfect bromance so i loved that and i love that earl came up with the plan to go fishing and throw some rocks out to try to kill one of the graboids and i just found it really fun their relationship was just a riot at times i think everyone would want to have that friend that they could count on in those situations for sure yeah definitely and i love that when val did lose one of the three rock paper scissors that he lost (laughs) that he actually punches earl so he can go and get the cat and that was so reckless and i just thought that that was so much fun Mm -hmm. i also felt like they got so caught up in their own conversations they miss what's going on around them because they're just so focused on who's going to get the last word. So I found it really hilarious. Yeah. They had missed opportunities because other people were coming up with solutions while they were too busy, like digging into themselves and trying to figure out who was the bigger person. So it was, it was really, really funny. And I also loved too, when Val got fired up, Yeah, when others didn't seem to th- take the situation so seriously, you could see how, passionate he was and how much he believed that they were truly in danger and they needed to do something but yet no one is really taking it as seriously yeah kevin bacon was incredible in this movie like he just there's a lot he had a lot of uh, fun with that and it's crazy to look back because you mentioned earlier it's crazy to think it's been 30 years but then you look at it, it's like, yep, there's, yeah, that late 80s, you know, early 90s, Kevin Bacon. And then Fred Ward, which, is it just me or does that young Fred Ward remind you a lot of season one of The Walking Dead, Shane? The way that he looks, his behaviors, his... Yes. <laughs> the attitude. He had the attitude and the swagger. I guess you could call it swagger. He definitely had that. Yeah. Uh, I totally can relate to that. I think that you're right on with that. Yeah. That uh, observation. Yeah. And I, I think it becomes clear to them how much they really end up loving the <laughs> quote unquote city. It's what it says on the sign. City of perfection. Population 14. But how much they really do end up loving perfection because, you know, they have a literal shitty day at work and they're about 
done with it. So they're like, okay, we're leaving. We're done. Not even free beer can save this, you know, sewage spewage situation. We're done. Like we're, we're gone. But then by the end of it, like they are fighting to save that place. And you can really tell like, okay, this is home for them at that moment. Absolutely. I think that it was so relatable by the end when you look at them and you see how passionate they are about trying to save not only the community, but their friends and neighbors and willing to put themselves at risk several times to try to find a way to beat these graboids of which there were four. Let's just talk about the fact that there were four of them. (laughs) I can't imagine. I just can't imagine being in that position, but they were so dedicated to trying to save the community It's funny to watch them do like this 180 from we're getting the heck out of Dodge to we got to save the city. We got to save the people. We got to do this. It was just it was really interesting. And then you throw in the doctor, Dr. Rhonda, that Mm -hmm. Val instantly is crushing on hard. Yeah, I think it definitely adds another dynamic or almost dilemma into the bromance. Yeah. After after he's able to separate her from his Tammy Lynn Baxter um, <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love, I just too, I love their, their conversation during that time because Earl was really giving him a hard time. He even said the wrong name and I don't know if he meant to say the wrong name, but saying it got Val all pumped up about it. And I just loved that conversation. I just thought it was great. I think that was probably one of my top three most favorite things is their relationship and how it evolved. Absolutely. How it evolved over the the whole course of the movie. I also felt like the movie went by so fast. It really did. You mentioned it earlier. It's only about 95 minutes, but that is a quick 95 minutes. Even with me pausing it a bunch to take notes and kind of work through it, I was still like, oh, that's that's it. Yeah. Forget it. I know you forget and then you're watching it and thinking okay when I was sitting down to start to process what I was thinking about this movie I thought okay well I'm just gonna get these notes down but then I found myself going back and re-watching different segments because it's like something was missing or I needed to figure something out to get a thought across and still it just took no time there was no real dead time in the movie i felt like everything that happened there really wasn't anything that i would cut out yeah i think at 95 minutes it was like completely packaged right really well oh, yeah perfectly they they moved it at a very very great speed it's well done you don't get like quick succinct stories like that in film a lot nowadays but no it works movies <laughs> seem to make you want to think or sit have you sit on the edge of your seat there's not a lot of movies that combine two things and and do it well so i felt like it was great to revisit this yeah it was a lot of fun so what did you really like all right since we talked about earl and val then i think the other relationship the other couple (laughs) that i just absolutely love in this movie is the gummers bert and heather gummer first off just reba yes always anything reba yes (laughs) i love her so much i mean she I won't go on into it too deeply here on the podcast, but I mean, I owe so much of my life and taste for things and love for things. And like my mom was a huge Reba fan. It's where my name comes from. Really? Reba McIntyre's brother, which I can't think of off the top of my head what his actual birth name is, but he did decide to go the musical route as well. He did not 
come anywhere close to the success of Reba did, but his stage name and what he released music under was Pake McIntyre. That's where that comes from. And so it's almost an emotional thing now to go back and see Reba stuff. Cause not only just my mom was such a huge fan, but my mom also bears a striking resemblance to her or did. And so I lost my mom when I was young, but looking back at like Reba and stuff, like I just see my mom in her and it's the same kind of bubbly goofiness. And so there's just a very warm place in my heart for Reba McIntyre. Well, I thought she totally slayed it. Uh-huh. She was so fearless. And the way that she played Heather, she was fearless. She was fierce. She was like, okay, we're going to do this. It was just so on point. She supported him and calmed him down. Her husband, Bert, whenever he was getting all riled up, she would calm him down. Yeah. And I just found that so awesome. Yeah. I wish she had been in it more, even, because I thought that she did such a great job. She did get a nomination for this movie, though. So that's... She did. <laughs> she got nominated for a Saturn Award, yeah. which is, I think, pretty prestigious. I thought that was kind of cool. She also postponed her honeymoon Man. so that she could do the film, which I thought was kind of interesting. That's cool. Yeah. She was great. But then even just, yeah, that character, her and then her husband and this movie Bert Gummer oh man which fun fact he is the only character who is in every single Tremor sequel although he's the one that's carrying this ship but he's Michael Gross is so much fun they could not have picked a better (laughs) character to bring along because I actually forgot how much I loved his character Mm -hmm. until I rewatched the movie and it's like oh my gosh there's just so much to love. I mean, he, they, they wanted to move out into a place where they could be isolated. Yeah. They built this wonderful compound. They were prepared for anything, but they didn't count on a graboid who could come at them from underground. It could destroy everything they built. Yeah. He has that line where he's like, you know, we have so much food and water and ammunition and everything stored in our basement that could survive anything except for underground monsters is the one thing we didn't see coming. (laughs) I feel like so many of the quotes in this movie that I loved were by him. Yeah. Because he just killed it. It, The dialogue was just so good. Yeah. And the, the funny thing, though, about this is Michael Gross started filming this movie one day after the rap party for Family Ties, which was his sitcom in the 80s sitcom, very popular, also starred Michael J. Fox, was a very, very popular sitcom. And he was the dad. The character he plays in this movie is not close to what he (laughs) played on Family Ties. So I think it's a credit to him that he's able to switch so quickly to play someone that's so dynamic and interesting and vocal and fired up and passionate you would never have convinced me before this movie that he would be the best one to play this part right but oh my gosh thank god he did yes because speaking of that personality of that character one thing i noticed when they pull up to the compound when you see them their truck I, i love their truck the license plate reads uzi for you and they have a bumper sticker on the front that says free afghanistan They are the like anti-government gun aficionados that the world needed at that time, or at least perfection needed at that time. Yes, exactly. Do you know, though, that the truck, it actually was Michael Gross's truck? Oh, I did not know that. That's fun. That was his truck, and uh, it was a newer truck. 
He bought it in 1988. <laughs> it was a 1989 GMC Jimmy. Kept it till 97, and then he bought another one. That's cool. That's a fun fun fact to know. <laughs> but yeah, that personality, that because when they're on the radio with Val and everybody back at the shop, instead of hurrying to the roof like everybody's yelling at them to immediately, they just lock and load and they're ready to go. They're like, whatever it is, we'll take it. <laughs> Hunting rifles? No. Okay. Semi-automatics? No. Flare gun? No. Elephant gun? Check. That'll... <laughs> exactly. But it doesn't go very well in the dirt. No. <laughs> Only in an open graboid mouth does the elephant gun get the job done. <laughs> I I loved when they were on the roof making bombs like it was no big deal. Yeah. That's literally my next note. That is literally my next note on them. Of course they would be making homemade pipe bombs on the roof. Like, yeah, okay, we got this. <laughs> it's no big deal. It's another day at the office. Yeah. <laughs> it's just something that we do. We have an ice cream scoop. We're scooping out. I think they were pellets, <laughs> pouring them in. Like, it's no big deal. Like, it's something <laughs> they would do every day, every morning, noon, and night. Just a Sunday afternoon crafting project. <laughs> I love that. You know what? If it were me, I'd want them on my side. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They would be the ones. If we had to do like a draft and here's all the characters from this movie. Oh, yeah. They would be the first two that I would pick. Absolutely. The the survivalists, you got to take them every time in these situations. (laughs) For sure. Because what even Earl says something about is like, I guess we can't make fun of them in their lifestyle anymore, can we? (laughs) You definitely can't. They had the ammo to try to take out the Graboids. Speaking of the Graboids, they were so darn smart. Mm -hmm. I could not even believe. I mean, they were so smart figuring out how to get to their lunch, which was people. Oh, yeah. They figured out things like Nestor's trailer is not very stable and they can knock it over and he's lunch. And going under the Gummer's truck and popping the tires, which they had done earlier, to another vehicle. Yeah. So there's no way for them to get out, despite the fact they've got this great compound with this big fence around it while they don't have a vehicle to get out. And digging a trap also when they were trying to reach the rocks. Once they had, I think it (laughs) was it a bulldozer? It was a cat. They were pulling a trailer behind. Yeah, it's a big bulldozer. Yeah. I forgot about that moment (laughs) before rewatching this and... Yeah, because what are they doing? I don't care as long as they do it way over there. And then once they get to that point, they realize they had dug a whole underground trench for them. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's actually really impressive. <laughs> I could not believe it. I forgot about it too. It knocked some people off the bulldozer. It was just kind of like a chaotic experience, mm-hmm. which is exactly what the grab boys were looking for. Yeah. And by this point, we had already seen one of them hit a cement wall, which graboids are no match for a cement wall. No. Not at all. Going as fast as they could. And I felt like now, looking back at it, it was actually kind of telegraphing something that happened at the end of the movie. Only there Mm -hmm. wasn't a cement wall to kind of stop it. Yeah. But I loved when it hit the cement wall. I thought the effects for that were the best in the whole movie. Mm -hmm. That one piece, I think, was really good. There were other pieces, too. But I felt like the effects for that were pretty awesome. I also think that the Graboids have a lot of patience. Oh, yeah. That's one of the scariest things about them is they would just sit and wait as long as it takes. Yeah, poor old Edgar on the top of the the pole, (laughs) dying of dehydration. I'm sure he didn't think he was going to be up there for that long. They definitely had the patience to be able to wait for people and 
if Val Earl and everyone else hadn't stepped it up, that very well could have been them on the rocks dying of dehydration. Yeah. They used the pipe bombs and they were able to successfully take one of them out. But then, of course, it's not going to work on both of them. And this was kind of funny because you knew when that other graboid spit the bomb out you knew it was going to go someplace that it shouldn't and landing on all the other bombs <laughs> which it destroyed and so they at that point they only had one left you felt bad but you couldn't help but laugh oh yeah because it was just really silly to think that it would go there <laughs> it was kind of predictable but I-, I don't know i liked it i thought it was fun yeah it was a way of speaking to the adaptability and the cleverness of the Graboids that each time they think they would get an upper hand on them, they'd figure that game plan out and move to something else. Even to when, you know, they were trying to distract them away from Val and Earl and, you know, he went back underground and made it look like, oh, he's going back over toward the rocks. And he was like, wait, he's still here. <laughs> he's trying to fool us. Like they figured out all of our tricks at this point. <laughs> exactly it's like fool me once mm-hmm. you're not gonna fool me again yeah. there's just no way they're way too smart they catch on so quickly to what's going on and it's like they're studying mm-hmm. so love the graboids and they play such a big part different versions of them or different types of them play such a big part as you can imagine in the sequels and we'll talk about that a little bit later yeah. Let's talk about Melvin. He's the type of kid that's going to drive you up the wall. The boy who cried Graboid <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> Wrapping the dead Graboid like appendage around his neck and coming out and pretending and pranking everyone saying, oh, it's got me. You know they wanted to smack him. Oh, yeah. And then he has to climb the pole to get away. And you can see that he's been attacked. I, I applauded at that moment. I was like, okay, finally you get it. Mm-hmm. That this is not a game. That these creatures are real. Oh, yeah. And you need to take it seriously. Also liked when Bert told him he wouldn't give him a gun, even if it was World War Three. <laughs> but then he gives him one anyway, because he's freaking out. Yeah. And then... By the way, it wasn't loaded. It was a riot. <laughs> I love that moment. Of course he would give him the one that has nothing in it. <laughs> and then he says, it got you to move, didn't it? That just tells you what type of character he, that Bert is. Because he just manages to keep these situations under control by doing, making decisions like that. So I found that hilarious. <laughs> it was just too funny to begin with. So what yeah. else did you like? You slightly mentioned her earlier, but Rhonda... Just like a quick, quick little note about her. She's like that perfect like example. And this was actually for, for 1990. That's pretty good for like the strong female character. She's sort of used as a love interest, but it's not not even a main focus of her character. She is the one that like, you know, while these two dudes are arguing over nothing, really leave it to the woman, the educated college girl to figure out let's pole vault, <laughs> like let's actually take action and do something. Which, by the way, that perfectly choreographed three-person pole vault across the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Just a fun, fun visual thing. But then again, she's the one that has to bust the water pipe or figure out we need to distract the graboids so we can send somebody after the cat. Like She's the one coming up with all the plans while all the guys are bickering with each other about what they should or shouldn't do. Yes. Yes, definitely. She was. She was the one that was thinking about things. And they deferred to her. With questions that, of course, she doesn't know the answer to. 
<laughs> but they defer to her anyway because she's an expert in tremors or underground waves and Mm-hmm. They thought that she would be able to help in some way. And she helps in so many ways. Yeah. But they kind of looked at her like she would know more. But it's it's a good like change of pace from a lot of the movies you see in the 80s and 90s. Where they just they look at the female character like that as, oh, the only thing that you have to offer is because you're hot. Mm-hmm. Instead, that they referred to her because they trusted her with this situation more than any of them knew what was going on. And I think that's a really cool thing, especially in a movie in that time. Absolutely. I agree on that. It was nice to see someone used not only as the love interest or the eye candy. Mm-hmm. She was someone who was intelligent and brave, feisty. Yeah. I mean, she did give Val so many opportunities to talk to her, and he just (laughs) couldn't get it together most of those times, which I guess is kind of realistic sometimes. Yeah, definitely. All right. So one of the other things that I actually liked was the fun nicknames that they were coming up with for different things. Like Val refers to the Graboid after they had smashed the tentacles on this Graboid. Started referring to him as Stumpy, which I found funny. Oh, yeah. Good old Stumpy. And Stumpy was actually the last (laughs) Graboid left at the end when it was just the one Graboid left. Uh Um, And Walter actually was the one who came up with the term Graboid. Yes, R.I.P. Walter. At least he got to name it before he went because that was like his main concern was to make sure that he could put a name on it and get credit for it somehow. Exactly. He wanted to be famous. Mm -hmm. Either he wanted people to come to his general store all the time for sightseeing so that he could sell tickets or whatever. He wanted to be known for something. And now R.I.P. Walter, he comes up with the terminology Mm -hmm. Graboid. And that is interesting if you think about it, because after he came up with it, they were referring to it as a Graboid. And that just killed me. The actor who played Walter actually has has since passed away. And he was more well known for... A bunch of movies and sequels about kid ninjas. Yeah, those are the three ninjas. Three ninjas movies. Yeah. The three ninjas. Yeah, three ninjas. So he was more well known for that, but I think he this role was really good for him and sorry, you know, the Graboids got him and yeah. it certainly wasn't one of those that in some cases I am happy when someone gets what I call their comeuppance. I was certainly Felt bad for poor old Walter. Did you have anything else that you really liked? Just one more other little thing that I thought was kind of interesting. I guess like other like small little uh, things that I noticed. First off, that produced by Gail Ann Hurd, who we know from the Walking Dead universe as well. Has been with them since pretty much the beginning, I think. At least close, if not. I think she has. And Which I didn't even know that or realize that until going back. I was like, oh yeah, she played a big part. I love the stuff that she touches. It's always fun. Let's see, little like production things like Gatorade in glass bottles in the general store. That'll date the film for you, won't it? Yes, it will. Along with Pepsi machines that are going and sounding like they're a chopper that's going to take off. Yeah. <laughs> I have not seen a soda refrigerator that looks like that in such a long time. Mm-hmm. So it definitely did. Yeah. And then the one other production thing that I noticed, which it's kind of once you know it's there, it's so hard not to notice, is there are so many F-bombs in the actual original recording and filming of this movie. But then they decided to cut all of them but one out because they wanted a PG-13 rating and they that's that was their goal. And so they dub all of these F-bombs over with different things and... 
man, it's, it's some of them are are real noticeable. Those mother humpers. <laughs> if I look back at this movie about if I'm trying to determine what is it I really liked, what is it that stood out to me as something that annoyed me or I didn't like so much. I wish we could have heard all the F-bombs. Yeah. That's what I want. I want the R-rated version with the real the real swearing. I want to watch that. Oh, I know. Where's that cut? Where's where's the uncensored cut of the movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because there's quite a few that I noticed. There's, yeah, because the, the mother humpers and then we got two, one more, you know, two mother humpers added your way. Or, you know, fly. Can you fly, you sucker? <laughs> Exactly. I can't believe they yeah. did it. And then when I was watching, I didn't realize that they just overdubbed it. Yeah. You can watch some of their mouth. Like even earlier in the movie when they find all the sheep slaughtered and he's like, what the shit? And that's not what he said. Or or Melvin, you know, has this moment where he's flipping off Earl and going, eh, eat it. That's not what he said. <laughs> I feel like we were robbed. I feel like we were robbed of it. Um, It actually reminded me another Walking Dead connection of in the comic, Negan drops all of these F-bombs in the comic. We didn't really see that on the show. (laughs) But so I guess sometimes producers, companies decide. Had to get that PG-13 rating, make it more marketable, make it, yeah. It It is is what it is. It is is not what I wanted, but okay. It was still a fun movie. (laughs) It still was a fun movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, The only other thing that I think bothered me, and it didn't really bother me, is I feel like there are some other movies that have come out at a similar time where the effects held up a bit better. Felt like these effects did not hold up as well. And I look at it and think, okay, well, yeah, butternut squash stuff. Yeah, no, didn't really... But I'm okay with it. Like these are not de- these aren't deal breakers for me. I liked it. I think the f- uh, physical practical effects of the graboids themselves, like whether it was animatronics or puppeteering, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe a, a, I think a little combination of both that a lot of those yeah are still pretty good for that time and I think it just it solidifies the the thought in my head that practical effects are always going to be better than CGI if you can do it correctly i agree i mean digital ages so badly so quickly absolutely it's just like because it's always there's another technological step up versus practical effects that if you can do it right the first time it will always look good jurassic park is a huge example of that where you know 30 years later after that one and those still look perfect (laughs) they do they hold up and if you look at the movies the other jurassic park movies it all really holds up the effects if you look at the earliest to now they look very comparable and i think that's a testament to the work being done right and i really like that i actually will probably have to check out some of these sequels just because i think it would be a lot of fun and i think they start employing a lot more cg in those versus practical which is that everything suffers from that point because even Star Wars did that where the there's so many practical effects in the original trilogy and then George Lucas decided to technology you know technologicalify up whatever the the prequels and add so much CG and green screens and all this and it does not hold up but it's cheaper it becomes cheaper if you can find a team that can just edit you know together digital stuff and but it doesn't it doesn't make it special no. <laughs> You lose some of the things that make it special. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that is sad. Yeah. To lose those little things that make a movie what it is. Movies are so much more than just one actor 
one actress, dialogue, effects. It's everything all together. And I've seen some movies where it looked like they threw the whole kitchen sink in to try to make something work and it didn't. Yeah. But I feel overall you've got to have a lot of these pieces and if the effects let you down, that doesn't help. I feel like each piece is really important and you have to try to make it all fit together and put in the best effort on all of the pieces, including effects. Yeah. It's definitely not a deal breaker for me because no. watching this movie again, oh my gosh. I don't think I've watched it at least in the last 20 years. Man. <laughs> I forgot how fun it was. It's, it is. So it was great to get, yeah, it was great to revisit it and enjoy it so much. It is. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, my only other complaints or dislikes, if you can even call them that, because it's meant to be a comedy movie too, so you don't want to take things seriously. But there's some dramatic moments in the movie that their dramatic lines are delivered with extra cheese, just like Domino's. But I can forgive them because, yeah, it's supposed to be a kind of cheesy, funny movie. So when they have to deliver real hard, it like, oh, my God, with the seriousness, eh, it's, it doesn't come across as well. But it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little over the top. Yeah, mm -hmm, definitely. Like, what was one? Yeah, the one that, steps, uh, that sticks out to me the most is when they're on the rocks and an Earl looks at Rhonda and says, so we're stuck here then. That pisses me off. <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks for clarifying that. Um, you know? Tell us how you really feel, Earl. <laughs> Share it with, with the yeah. class, how you feel. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But yeah, that's about it. There's some ridiculous moments that just from a standpoint of reality, I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But moving on, it's a goofy movie. <laughs> like, I don't know, the grab boy probably should have just grabbed those poles while they're pole vaulting because they've been grabbing things that hit the ground quicker than that. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. We got to get them out of there somehow. Exactly. Even when she dives into that truck and somehow manages to perfectly steer the truck down the road while she's upside down with her hand on the gas pedal. No way to see. But perfectly drives it anyway. We'll just... <laughs> We're just going to file that under suspension of disbelief. Yes, we'll have our own <laughs> file there for that. I remember watching I remember watching her do that and thinking, "Why aren't they helping her sit up once they get going?" <laughs> again, mm. it's Val and Earl in their own little world distracted from everything going on around them they should have helped her so that she could drive it looks like she had it handled perfectly fine somehow <laughs> somehow she was driving without being able to see anything mm -hmm. steering while also having her hand on the accelerator mm -hmm. while a graboid was trying to get in the window to get her <laughs> and yet she persisted and was able to accomplish it very well she's a superhero but i still think val and earl need to get out of their own little world <laughs> so we talked a little bit earlier about some of the quotes in this movie that really stood out yeah. and we've said a couple of them already one of the ones i loved and i feel like bert had the best quotes some of his were just hilarious when he was making the bombs and everyone commented on how effective they were and asked what was in them. And he said, just a few household chemicals in the proper proportions. <laughs> I also loved when Val is on top of the general store talking to Bert on the radio. Bert and Heather still don't really understand it, even though they've seen it at this point and <laughs> killed one of them. And Val says, Roger that, Bert, and congratulations. 
Be advised, however, that there are two more, repeat, two more mother humpers. <laughs> Again, with the mother humpers. Yeah. I just thought that it was fantastic. Were there any that you liked in particular? Yeah, for me, I think the most quotable person for some reason was Val. I think Val had some of the greatest little like one-liners and quips. Very beginning of the movie, they're hammering, you know, they're working fence posts and nailing those down and putting the barbed wire through them. And Earl's just like tired of it. He says, I ask you, is this a job for an intelligent man? Val quickly comes back. Well, show me one. I'll ask him. Which <laughs> was great. <laughs> or uh, Val says to Bert while they're sitting in the shop, the way you worry, you'll have a heart attack before you get a chance to survive World War Three. <laughs> <laughs> Another great one. Uh, I don't remember who said it to him, but it was, you know, you said, oh, they must have, ch you know, chased the truck. They're going to chase the truck or whatever, or chase the horses. It was one of them. This is, you know, those snake things can't be that fast. He's like, for all you know, they could fly, which is a great little foreshadowing to the end of the movie, but also, wink, wink, to the sequels. Yes. I'll give you a little bit of that. Yes. I don't know if they had that planned when they said that for something that they thought movies and a trilogy, you know, in the works at least. But who knows? Let's see. Earl had two great moments I really liked. One with Melvin. You know, it's after Rhonda says, oh, we should get something, you know, to keep them busy. We have to keep them busy. He says, yeah, something to keep them busy, like a decoy. And Earl goes, hey, Melvin. Want to earn a quick buck? <laughs> I love that part. I love that. That was so yeah. funny. Last one I had was a little conversation between Earl and Bert while they're about to go fishing with the bombs. And Earl says, what kind of fuse is that? And Bert says, cannon fuse. What the hell would you use that for? My cannon. Yes, because <laughs> the gummers, of course, would have a cannon. Of course they have a cannon. <laughs> we didn't see it. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't there. Yeah. When it comes to them, I would believe just about anything. Uh-huh. They may have had more rooms in that bunker than we saw full of more ammunition, guns, oh, yeah. weapons than we saw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I also liked the one line that Bert said, broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you, you bastard? And poor Val. I mean, he just said we decided to leave town just one damn day too late. And that's it's totally true. I mean, they did. They they were leaving too late. If they had left a day earlier, they would have been in Bixby and away from all of everything that happened. And oh, yeah. But then probably the town wouldn't have survived. So, no, they definitely, they're critical to the survival of the town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't have done anything without the two of them. So that is all I have for quotes. If you don't have any others, we can talk about some sequels. Oh, man. Sequels. <laughs> <laughs> Here's where I'm going to go out with these. As I've said before, I am a huge fan of this entire series, even when they're really bad. I still love the films. They are straight to DVD at this point, with the seventh one being released in October this year, like Daphne mentioned earlier. So I, I would just say, if you loved this movie and you're okay with taking this and then just adding level upon level of nonsense and graboid related fun i highly recommend just checking out the the sequels don't take them seriously but they're a great sit down with some popcorn and just laugh and have a couple of hours of fun and so i will give you a quick rundown of what to expect with minimal spoilers for each of the movies just to see if i can entice you a little bit with some of these and this one is directly followed up with tremors 2 aftershocks where earl and bert 
are hired by a Mexican oil company because they're having a graboid issue in Mexico. Of course they are. So they managed to talk them into going down there. And then while they're there, a little bit of spoiler, they've realized that these graboids have mutated into a smaller heat-seeking form that can walk on land they call Shriekers. The third movie, Tremors 3, Back to Perfection, where Bert has to return back to the hometown of Perfection, Nevada, because the graboids have returned. And Walter has gotten his after-death wish of it being famous because it is now like a spot for tourists, a tourist attraction town where the graboids were. And so Bert has to kind of team up with this like guy who's like this uh, tour guide, thrill-seeking kind of person, and has to fight them again. This time there is a third wild mutation known as the Ass Blasters, is what they call them, (laughs) (laughs) which is insane. Which, of course, as hinted at earlier, can fly, or at least glide, after lighting their farts on fire, basically, and launching themselves into the air. I told you it gets ridiculous. And this is only the third one. (laughs) tremors 4 the legend begins is a prequel to the series takes place in the town when it was known as rejection nevada in 1889 where hiram gummer who is the ancestor of burt gummer who is also played by michael gross he plays his old ancestor in this movie fights graboids to save the town you get the gist it's it's tremors Tremors 5, Bloodlines, where Bert ends up meeting with his long-lost son, Travis, played by Jamie Kennedy, of all people, and they have to fight Graboids in all of their different forms in South Africa. Of course they do. <laughs> Tremors, A Cold Day in Hell is the sixth movie. You get it. It's it's Tremors, but now they're in Canada, and the, ice, <laughs> the, the ground is frozen and icy and cold, so the Graboids are scarier, they're stronger. It's, you know... It, I can't really sell you on these movies anymore at this point, (laughs) unless you just know what you're getting into. Just watch them. It's mindless fun. It's great. The only other one is Island Fury, which Daphne mentioned earlier, does come out in October this year. And you know, I will be buying it. I will be getting it and I will be watching it because that's just how I am. It's going to be a mess and I'm going to love every second of it. I mean, (laughs) Tremors on a tropical island. And from the little bit of synopsis I read, it seems like it's kind of like one of those super rich guys who owns a private island who somehow has bought and moved Graboids to that island as some kind of exotic game that he can hunt or something and things go awry. So that'll be interesting. It does have John Heater, who is Napoleon Dynamite, and Richard Brake, the Night King from Game of Thrones. So the cast is going to be interesting. I'm I'm down. I'm going to watch it. So yeah, Michael Gross is the only actor to appear in every single one what a legend <laughs> this man is for doing this for all of us and i'm a big fan of it because i did when a cold day in hell the last one that came out came out i pre-ordered it special edition it came with a postcard signed by michael, michael gross himself so yes i am a diehard fan and i'm so glad daphne that you had me on for this movie because <laughs> i knew you'd be the perfect person to talk about this movie with yeah <laughs> I knew that we both would nerd out over it and that it would be a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, too, to say that uh, Michael Gross was also in Tremors the series. Yes, that is right, which I do own that. They only made one short season before it got canned, but it's fun. And that also has uh, Michael Rooker and Dean Norris. Dean Norris, yeah. From, from Breaking Bad, yeah. Again, it's one of those things where if, if you know what it is, if you can find it and look into it, 
it's fun. It's worth it. If you're a Tremors fan, it's something to add to it and watch. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed another thing too, though, that was kind of cool is in a cold day in hell, Bert does return as well as Jamie Kennedy as his son, Travis. Mm -hmm. But also it features a student intern named Valerie, who is the daughter of Val and Rhonda. Yes, that is right. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was kind of cool, kind of connecting to, you know, going back and having that extra connection to the original. Which Kevin Bacon has stated that he would like to return for Tremors at some point, but then just when the time has come, he's never taken it. And it's, I don't know if the timing hasn't worked out with other stuff he was doing or... They put the offer on the table and he goes, oh, did I say that? Never mind. I don't know. <laughs> well, he did. He did film a pilot for a sci-fi tremor show. Yeah. But it did not get picked up. So mm-hmm. it's disappointing that we won't get yeah. to see that. I would love to try to find that pilot somewhere out in the universe. It's got to be somewhere for me to be able to watch it. I don't know how I could get my hands on it, but I hope I could somehow. I feel like it has to be, (laughs) especially right now with everything that's been going on. Mm -hmm. I feel like someone must have it can just upload it to YouTube or somewhere else so that it can be seen. (laughs) I feel like, you know, or it could be an extra on the release of the next movie. Hint, hint. That would be amazing. I will spend like a 20 extra bucks on a special edition just to get the pilot episode of the unmade, never seen new series with Kevin Bacon. It's also good to mention that all of the sequels after the original movie were direct to video. That was something that was done. None of them went to the theater. They were all direct to video. No, none of them after the first one made theaters. Yeah, none of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I found that interesting. But they keep churning them out. (laughs) (laughs) They do. Another interesting thing is... Tremors 4, The Legend Begins, Michael Gross was actually still filming the series at the time. And so he had to miss the last two episodes of that season, I believe, so that he could go and film Tremors 4. It's been a long time since I watched that series, but that makes sense. I'm trying to, because I don't remember, but yeah, I think maybe he did, like there was some reason they wrote him off the end of the series for a little bit. That sounds vaguely familiar. (laughs) It's been a long time since I watched it. (laughs) Yeah. I read something interesting that the director of Tremors 2, S.S. Wilson, who was involved in most of these films, had a conversation with Kevin Bacon where Kevin Bacon said, hey, I've changed my mind. I think I will do it. Nothing was ever firmed up at all. And because it wasn't ever formalized, he did not appear. Mm -hmm. He was off making a little movie called Apollo 13 during the time that this was being made. Was that that important? (laughs) I know. I know. They almost canceled Tremors 2 at that point, but multiple cast and crew members offered to take pay cuts in order to get the movie made. So... Because really the only ones that returned, because they did manage to get Fred Ward for the second movie. He came back for one more. And I think if I remember right, yeah, the way that they did it is because they became super famous. They did get the pictures or whatever posted in National Geographic. And so Val took his money and just left. And then Earl decided to stick around a little bit longer. (laughs) He went off with Rhonda. Yeah. Uh That's what I think they allude to in that one, because I may have seen the sequel. I'm not 100% sure. There's definitely a lot to this movie beyond just the movie itself, because with the TV series and the sequels, there's just so much more. There's a whole universe there if you are willing, (laughs) daring to go to it. (laughs) Enter the realm of Tremors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so at the end, I wanted to start something new. Our friends over at Rotten Tomatoes, Tremors actually has an 88% fresh rating, which I thought was really good. 
Nice. So I wanted to do my own little rating on the show and do it one out of ten. Cool. Since this is the first movie in many movies that I'm going to do, I am going to be a little bit conservative and I'm going to give it a (laughs) 7.5. All right. So, Paik, what would you give it knowing how much you love this movie and the series? (laughs) I... Yep, I had to give my super fanboy a little bit of a backseat on this and look at it from a film standard of what held up, what kind of mistakes or, you know, weird things in the story were made to where is it really like a perfect film? I still absolutely love it a lot. So all of that considered, I did still give it an eight. So I'm pretty close to where you're at on there. Yeah. All right. All right. I think that's good. It's still a perfect classic to me that I will go back to. Of course. Of course. But it has its flaws. I'm not going to make it perfect. <laughs> I don't think any movie is perfect. I mean, they they come close, yeah. but I feel like yeah. there's always some little thing missing or something that could be just a little bit better. And sometimes I think it's better mm-hmm. not to go for perfection at all. It's better just to tell a story in the yeah. best possible way. <laughs> go for perfection. Go for perfection. Yeah. I know. that's <laughs> That is... It's what the Graboids did, and you saw what happened to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think that unless you have any other notes, then we are at the end of our show. That is it. That's all <laughs> I've got. So to submit your theories, feedback, questions, comments, go to our Facebook page at Run For Your Lives Podcast. You can email us at runforyourlivespodcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at runforyourlivespodcast. And I just want to say thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thank you. I am Daphne. I'm Paik. And if you have to run, you better run for your lives. Good night. (laughs)